0: This week on the Divided Opinion podcast.
1: Is your mentality changed now? Or are you feeling a little bit more relaxed? Not really, no.
0: Until we I think until you see Loftus Cheek get a run in the team and start showing it regularly in the Premier League, I mean, how can we possibly judge him yet?
1: Sukel goes against that. He's very honest about his players, and he he uses it as a tool to call his players out.
0: He's done great things for the club, and he's built. He's sort of revolutionised the way English football can be played, and he's won multiple Premier League titles. But
1: at the end of the day, he was bought in to win the Champions League. And... And then once the first goal goes in, it kind of scuppers all of Sirioni's plans to sit in, be resolute, catch him on a counter-attack. And then obviously the sending-off just further compounded that. Hello and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 11 of the Divided Opinion Podcast. As always, the other half of Divided Opinion joins me, Westy. How are you, mate? Not bad, mate. Not bad. How are you? Yeah, all good. Anything? Anything happened for you this week? Um, not not particularly, no. You've got your laptop intact. You've got everything with you. You haven't lost anything this no, week. No, everything's insured. Everything's y- at home. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. Well, we've had another week, another week of Champions League football to enjoy. Obviously, had the, well, we can we can talk briefly about the Premier League result, results at the weekend before we get into the Champions League. Obviously, last week we were talking very much, it was crisis talks, wasn't it, in terms of United, um, and I think we, we definitely gave enough um, talk about Oli, and you were very clear about what needed to happen. Obviously, we're coming off the back of this week, weekend, 3-0 against Spurs, How, is your is your mentality changed now? Are you feeling a little bit more relaxed?
0: Not really, no. I mean, Spurs was sort of a... It was a, just papered over cracks because as much as we were, it did look a lot more solid and we were good and played some good football. We were up against a Tottenham team that were on their last legs, really, and they, they were pretty yeah. awful. I mean, and then fast forward to Tuesday night and come up against an Atalanta team that are better than Tottenham um, a good size and they cause us all sorts of problems again and the the f- yeah. fatalities so to speak were there for everyone to see again
1: yeah we'll get into United against Atalanta soon um, it, it must just be a, the most confusing thing in the world being a Manchester United fan I genuinely wouldn't know how to feel from one day to the next because it, it's just it's just contrast of emotions isn't it you don't know what to think you obviously want to see the team win, but it's just, it's just confusing, confusing. Should we get into the Champions League? Yeah. Interview? Yeah, let's go. Right, so, should we start with Chelsea's result away at Malmo in Sweden? Yeah. So, obviously, beating Malmo 1-0. They're all but through now. but However, they are sat in second, three points behind Juventus, who, although they might be having a disappointing Serie A season, they, they're looking strong in the Champions League. They've won all four games. Now, Chelsea, it's not all, it's not all rosy for them. When you're sat in second, it, it really does dictate the, the kind of teams that they're going to be playing against in the next round. Uh, hudson O'Doy assisted Hakim Ziyech for the only goal of the game. But I think the most talk I saw after the game was about a certain Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Now, I thought his career at Chelsea had kind of come to an end. Um, we obviously saw him have a, a series of kind of uninspiring loan spells where he showed little snippets of what he can do, and I think that is what his career has been defined by. Really, just he's obviously the talents there, and he was a highly regarded young player coming out of the Chelsea Academy. And we've seen so many, haven't we? In terms of Loftus Cheat now, or just Chelsea in general, do you want to just do you want to say anything about Chelsea in general? Did you did you see the highlights from the game?
0: I mean, it's a game that you'd expect them to win. Uh, every day of the week and probably but probably by more goals than one I know yeah. obviously they've got Premier League football coming up at the weekend if you get a goal or two I mean you don't need to go all, all out and try and batter teams do you when you're already through pretty much but yeah. um, no I can't really say too much of the game because I didn't
1: watch it but yeah but, um, they, but in terms of coming back to Ruben Loftus-Cheek Yeah, obviously I did. I'm sure you saw there was highlights going around on Twitter of his performance and you can kind of imagine it really the kind of midfielder he is and what he's good at is he's kind of his runs. Progressive running is something that he's he's really, really strong at, and it obviously owes to his to his stature. And I feel like Loftus-Cheek does offer something that none of the other Chelsea midfielders really do. I'm not obviously comparing him to the likes of Kante, Jorginho and Kovacic. Like, I think they're a they're a higher standard and they have been operating at a higher level. But he does offer something different. What do you? Where do you see Loftus Cheek? And where do you rank him? Do you think he has a career at Chelsea? Um, I don't know. Like you say, he's he's got the talent and he always has
0: done. But like there's these highlight reels going around. And I mean, there was no disrespect to them. But at the end of the day, it's against Malmo. You know when. We're still yet to see. He's I think he's 25 years of age, so he's coming up to the peak of his career. Uh, he hasn't played that many games, obviously. He's been really unfortunate due to injuries and stuff like that. But until we, I think, until you see Loftus Cheek get a run in the team and start showing it regularly in the Premier League, I mean,
1: how can we possibly judge him yet? I mean, he's still. But one, one way we can look at it, and is someone you obviously. Thomas Tuchel is so uh, he's so honest about his players, and you we see it so often nowadays that managers they try and deflect the the flak coming at their players. They try and deflect it away from them. Tuchel goes against that. He's very honest about his players, and he he uses it as a tool to call his players out. And he's come out and basically said about um, Loftus Cheek. I can get his quotes up now actually. So he said about Loftus Cheek like he's he's basically set targets for it. And if if he was a player that he didn't see as up to the up to scratch or not someone that was in his plans, I don't think he'd be saying stuff like this. So he wants to dominate opponents, he wants he wants not to just be part of the game because I think he is too talented to just be part of the group. He needs to use his full potential. That is absolutely key for him. If he does like in this moment, he can be a big part of the squad. So obviously Tuchel he's not like Loftus Cheek, I think a lot of us thought, and along with Ross Barkley as well, I think we thought they were out of Chelsea's plans coming into this season, especially with a manager like Tuchel. It probably looked like it was even harder for a player like Loftus Cheek to come back. Yeah. Maybe it was because of obviously is obviously coming and not not being the player that people would have hoped. I think it was a kind of a risky deal, weren't it? Anyway, I don't think he wasn't going to be a, a concrete return. But Loftus G obviously he is ha- quite highly regarded. Is Sal injured, or is he just doesn't? I just think just he doesn't should. play. Just not very good, I don't think. <laughs> I think he is one of those players, and you see it with those players that play in La Liga and leagues like that. Some of them come over and they can't adapt to the English game, and then some of them come over and make it look easy. Yeah, I think Sal I guess, is probably the former. Probably fall, um,
0: falls into the Danny Ceballos camp.
1: Yeah. I just think that we've lost his cheek. I think he has always shown that he has got the talent, and we you talk we talk about it a lot as well that a player is made by their their education, where they've they've been brought up and where they've learnt their trade, and Chelsea is one of the best academies to do so at. It might not be the best in terms of getting opportunities in the first team, but in terms of an elite environment, I, I think I'm. I don't know the exact years, but I'm sure that Loftus Cheek was part of the Chelsea teams that were winning the UEFA the youth UEFA youth cups and the FA Youth Cups, things like that. Yeah. I just think it's interesting. I just because his his Chelsea career seems all but gone, but he seems to be coming back now, and I think he I really do think he offers something different to everyone else, and I'd be interested to see. He he was obviously used to be seen as like a probably more of an attacking midfielder, but Played alongside Jorginho in a double pivot, uh, in the week. So yeah, no, I think it'd be interesting to see. On to another Cobham Academy product, Callum Hudson Odoi. He put it on a plate for Hakim Ziyech for Chelsea's only goal of the game. Yeah. He's another player. I think, to be fair, I think we did speak about him in a previous podcast. But have you been impressed with what you've seen from him?
0: Yeah, I mean, he's got all the tools to be a be a top player. But I just always thought whether. He'd need to leave Chelsea to go and well show that ability on a regular basis because I can't. Even though he did well on uh, Tuesday, he's played a little bit more as of late. I still can't see him with all the options that Chelsea have got. They've got like Pulisic coming back in now, haven't they? um, From injury, it's just hard to see where he fits in every week and gets that game time that he needs to really take his game to the next level. So, as much as Yeah. yeah, he's a good player and. Like you say, he's got all the he's got everything to be a top player.
1: Um, but just not sure where he fits into Chelsea long term, I don't think. Yeah. Obviously another player, the guy he assisted, Hakim Ziyech. Now obviously before he came to to, to this country, I think he was one of those players that was there was this a allure around him, wasn't there? And we were I was buzzing to see him in the Premier League. He I think it's fair to say he's probably taken a while to adapt. I wouldn't say he's not been horrendous. He's he's popped up with the odd goal, but he's never really staked a claim on that Chelsea team. And when we're talking about players like Hudson and there is an opportunity there because players like Havertz, Ziyech, they are taking a little bit of time to to get a consistent output and a consistent their productivity going and fit into this system. How have you been disappointed with Ziyech, or did you kind of see this coming? Um, I couldn't say I saw it coming because. We all saw him for the
0: in and the Champions League and all the, all the stuff you'd see week in week out. All these wonder goals he was scoring and all these great performances he was putting against, against good teams as well, big teams in the Champions League. But um, no, I, I've not really, I can't really comment too much on him because, like you say, he's he's just been fair. He's not been awful, but he's just been fair, he's been fairly
1: quiet. He's not really
0: done anything out of the
1: ordinary, has he? What do you think if you were to see him in a position? What position would you like to see him in? What do you think he's most productive in?
0: Um, I'd probably say coming off the right hand side. Not playing, I won't necessarily playing as far out as like an out and out winger because he's not really got the blistering pace and stuff like that to to be considered a proper winger. Because you could definitely see him playing in the ten as well. But I think if he, yeah, if he came off the paint and Inside, more of like an inverted forward, maybe. Yeah, that could be a good, good role for him. But you know, I'm, I'm no, no, not, not so much cool.
1: Yeah, no, I've, I was just interested to see, mate, because obviously, yeah, he is a player that I was, I was absolutely buzzing to see. And it's just, it's, I find it really strange with this Chelsea team because when you look at the players on offer, you'd think it would be really hard for a, a player like, Lof, uh, a player like, um, like Hudson, Adore, players like that to come into the team. But no one really is staking a claim, are they?
0: No.
1: No one No one really. Obviously, Mason Mounts of probably one of the first names on the team sheet. Lukaku obviously starts now, but that's obviously the money you have to play in. But there's a lack of real options aside from Lukaku in that number nine area. But you look at Werner, Ziyech, Havertz. Most managers across Europe would buy your hand off to have a player like that in their team. And well, all three of those three players. Of I mean, like they're literally... None of them are staking a claim on this on this team. Um, Havertz is the strangest one, in
0: my opinion. Yeah. Because he finished re- last season really strongly, obviously. He got that golden in the Champions League final and I think everyone thought he'd kick on and sort of show what he was showing at Bayer Leverkusen and start to really become Chelsea's main man. But I don't know whether the signing of Romelu Lukaku maybe sort of had an effect on him like, personally or mentally because maybe after that season he thought... Yeah, I'm gonna have the trust of the manager. I'll probably be the main man up front now, the number nine for Chelsea. And obviously, they went and spent hundred million pound on Romelu Lukaku. I'm not sure, maybe that's having an effect on him, where he doesn't feel as wanted as he wants to. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of the case with a lot of these players, it is hard to talk about because you want to just almost sit down with them and ask them from their point of view what is going wrong. Because you right as well in terms of the signings. it back in the day, a signing like. Havertz however much he was how much was he 90 million or so yeah i think and yeah. a player like that would be a rarity probably a signing every of every few years you'd bring in and everyone would get excited about but now these these signings happen all the time even in the same window as him it was Timo Werner coming in and and obviously next season you have got Lukaku the, the shine is kind of being taken away from these players yeah and you've seen it we've obviously seen it with Sancho players like that they come in and think they're going to be the top dog but actually these kind of signings they happen repeatedly now I think it is that nature of the game isn't it it's just in and out and people don't hang around at teams anymore no
0: it's the inflation I think
1: I mean it's
0: just you've got bang average footballers now haven't you going for 30-40 million so
1: yeah, no, it's crazy. It's quite hard to work out what's a what what is a big a traditional big signing and what isn't. Yeah, um, we'll move on to another team that, uh, cruising so to speak in in the Champions League. Obviously, they had a disappointing result of the weekend against Crystal Palace. Manchester City beating Bruges four one at home. We spoke about him on the podcast, but Cancelo three assists last night. The guy just continues to revolutionise the right-back position. I think it's almost a disservice to him to say he's a right-back. He seems to play everywhere. Centre mid, right wing, right-back. Yeah. Obviously, goals for Sterling, Jesus, Maris and Foden. I saw Foden one man in the match. I didn't actually see the game, but I suppose it is good for, just looking from an outsider's perspective, it's, it's good for, for Pep that he's getting these players scoring. And I think that's why games like this are so important against a team like Bruges. You've got players like Sterling, Marez getting their confidence up. What are you taking from City this season? Do you think they're focusing on the Premier League or they're focusing on Europe? It's quite difficult to see at the minute because we obviously know the issues they have in Europe. The Premier League seems to be, I wouldn't say slipping away from them just yet, but they're not the the domineering side they were one they once were, I should say. So what? Yeah, what are you taking from Man City this season? um
0: it's a, it's a difficult one to to uh, judge isn't it man city because like last season you got to sort of the end of october start of november and i think they were like 13 points off the top i mean i think they were sitting around like 11th mm. and you just never know when they're going to go and flip that switch and go and go on one of these 15 20 game winning runs do you you just no. it's always possible so you could be they could be 15 points off the top of the table even in January and you'd still wouldn't be able to rule them out of winning the title because it's the quality they've got on the side but it does strike me a little bit as maybe Pap is sort of putting all his eggs in the Champions League basket I mean it's the one that's eluded them and I'd, I think it's for him until he goes and takes another job in football or has a break. I can't see him doing that until he gets that Champions League with City because at the end of the day he's done great things for the club and he's, built, he's sort of revolutionised the way English football can be played and he's won multiple Premier League titles but at the end of the day he was bought in to win the Champions League and if he leaves Manchester without a Champions League trophy then he wouldn't be a failure by any means because he's, he's built one of the best Manchester City sides we've ever seen. But, he, but it also, there will always be a, a little... It would be a little bit of a failure, you know what I mean? In his head? Do you think in his head he'd see it as a failure? Yeah, of course, because he's always had that nagging uh, tag as well as he can't win the Champions League without Messi or Xavi or Iniesta because he, he went to Bayern Munich and had all these amazing players and didn't win it. And now he's at City and has had some of the best players, best teams we've seen in modern-day modern football.
1: And I think he was such a big part in what's attracted all these managers in to the Premier League. And I think he will always be seen as one of the early, kind of the first managers to be part of this Super League type thing we are coming to now with the Premier League. And I think he kind of set the benchmark, didn't he, for the likes of Klopp and managers like that to come over and really invest their time in the Premier League. And it's the place to be for managers. At the minute, it's where managers are... they it's the place of reckoning for managers and it's where you really find out where the best managers are. Yeah. So obviously, yeah, City, if we look if we look at the the state of group A, which is obviously Man City. So yeah, we've got Man City, PSG, Leipzig and Bruges. At the the state at the top of the of the table, I think it's fair to say the two teams, Man City and PSG, will go through. City are one point clear of PSG at the top of Group A. Um, they've obviously got two more games to play, one of them being PSG, who they lost to earlier in the in the group. Obviously, PSG have dropped points, drew, drew against Leipzig last night. They've also got another draw. How important is it to a team that they, they qualify in first place, do you think? Or do you think that you play whatever's in front of you and you shouldn't be scared of playing the big teams?
0: I do I do agree, to be fair. That, I mean... Everyone wants a favourable run in, and I think I think I've said it numerous times. You can, you can win a Champions League through not being the best team, but having a, a little bit of luck with who you get and just styles of play as well. It, you some teams can suit the Champions League with the way they play and how they set up against different sides, and in their own league, it might not work at all, and they might be to- totally sort of abject and finish mid table or or not mid-table necessarily, because a team that wins the Champions League isn't going to finish mid-table. But no, I, I, I agree with you when you sort of, you have to play all the best teams. If, well, you have to play the best if you're going to win it. And it's only right, really. I mean, you're eventually you're going to come up against the top side in the semi-finals or the final. But also, you a lot of teams have won the Champions League through having a bit of luck in their run-ins and just matching up against teams that don't necessarily play well against that style of football. I mean, you saw, I mean, like Ajax and stuff like that, you saw them, they, I mean, they had a brilliant young team, loads of good players coming through. And as much as they weren't the best team and they were playing against loads of these European elite teams, just the the style of football they played was sort of not something that all these teams in, like, in England and Spain were used to and used to come up no. against.
1: But do you think it could help a team like City where they seem to struggle to switch on in the Champions League nights? Do you think it would help them playing against the bigger teams early on before they get to the final? Because I suppose with City right now, they really, I mean, they must have had some kind of an inquest into why it just isn't working in Europe. Well, I suppose that's a question for you. Why don't you think it's worked in Europe for Manchester City so far? What would you You put it down
0: to? I mean, there's loads of factors. it could be, but... Obviously, like you said, there'll be an inquest and the people inside the club will know reasons why the players will be able to tell you reasons why they don't think it's worked. But it could it could simply be down to having not having that past experience of winning something like that. I mean, I think that's maybe what, obviously, Liverpool weren't really at the level to win the Premier League for the, much of the last 20, 30 years. But it will still have always been in their head as something that maybe stopped them earlier on on winning you look at that Brendan Rodgers season with Suarez and Sturridge and it, you just need to get that first one under the bag before it gives you the confidence of going on and doing it again and knowing how yeah. to act and playing football just in, knowing you can do it yeah playing football in the Premier League week in week out 38 games spread across a long few months it's so different the type of football and the styles you have to play and the way you have to set up and approach each game, you have to deal with things so much differently in the Premier League to knock out football. And I just feel like sometimes with City, it's always, it's been built up so much for so many years now and the pressure every year is, will City win it? They should win it. The the team they've got, they're expected to win it. And then it must just get to these knockout games where it's two games literally across a week or two that will define your season. And it would just be experience of in-game how to manage how to manage results how to deal with setbacks and it it's just like you say it's just tough i
1: mean it's so different in champions league yeah and i think what you're getting at as well is that each competition kind of requires different traits in a team and different attributes and obviously the premier league relies on consistency and being able to, and off, of obviously, a massive part of it is is the depth of your squad. Whereas the Champions League very much is on the night, and it's not really to do about it. It's not really obviously you got to have a level of consistency, but it's it's just a different kind. And it obviously is fine margins as well. Like sometimes it's just you're gonna get unlucky. See, have got unlucky in the past. I mean, we look back at that that Spurs semi final. Yeah, it's just fine margins Sterling scores in the last minute turns out to be what was it handball or offside offside like, yeah and that was soon after VAR had been introduced so he's it, just unlucky but obviously I always look as well at City won the Carabao Cup four years in a row if that's not an example of the fact that each tournament has different requirements that basically that was basically the depth cup let's be honest yeah Man City win that tra- trophy because they have the best depth in English football, that's probably. I still stand by the fact that I think that's why they won the league through lockdown and when we had no, when there was the congested fixtures and no fans. I be, genuinely believe that's the main reason why they won the league was because of the depth they had, and obviously that that's that's it. That's they had that depth, so obviously they were right to win the league. But I think that is why you you we're seeing it not happen in the Champions League. Because it is those big nights, and that's what Liverpool have, and we'll get on to Liverpool next. But Liverpool have that feeling, they know they can go and do it. And it's a powerful thing that Jürgen Klopp knows in his head that he hasn't... Well, obviously, Pep's led teams to to Champions League glory as well, but yeah, it's interesting. Obviously, before we move on from Manchester City, from what I've seen, Grealish was disappointing last night. Obviously, it was 4-1, and there was no goals or assists for Grealish. How are you assessing Jack Grealish now? I know we spoke about him a few weeks ago and I think the overriding judgment was that it's not been too bad and there's obviously, there's, there was work to be done, but he was, I'd say, impressed at the start with the, the expectation that was on him. How are you assessing Grealish now uh, as we're into a few months into his move?
0: Um, it's a difficult one with Grealish because uh, you, you've... you've you do feel for him as well because I mean we've seen it loads of times I mean there's just across the road at Man United Sancho's another prime example I mean he's, I mean he's a bit older than Sancho but these are young footballers and they're making these big moves and with massive price tags on the head with all this expectation and it's obviously going to take time for them to bet in I mean in Grealish's case he's he's grown up in sort of like a culture and like a community at like Aston Villa which he's known from day dot. He's he a could bit... do no wrong, could he? No, he's uh, a Villa Austin fan. Villa. Yeah, he was worshipped there. I mean, everyone, literally everyone worshipped him, and he was comfortable there because that's what he knew. His whole family of Villa fans. He bought up as a Villa fan. He played for Villa, so he was almost like yeah, like you say, he could do no wrong, and as much as he, he was, he really took Villa to the next level, I mean, got them promoted. and I mean, he even stayed with them in the Championship for three years. I think people forget that. He could have easily left then. I think he kept Dean Smith in a job. Yeah, he did definitely. That goal against West Ham on the last day of the season and then the way he took them to the next level last season, albeit through lockdown, and I mean, we know a lot of things went... It was strange, wasn't it, last season, the way things happened. I mean, with no fans in the ground... I mean, anything could have happened. It's not a true reflection of football, was it? Um, but yeah, inst- I think the stories you hear about him this summer, when he was sort of weighing up the move, whether he wanted to or not. I think that might have a little bit of a, a little bit of a give you an insight into why he might be struggling a little bit. Maybe he wasn't so sure, and maybe he did feel pressured because he maybe thought, "I do love it at Villa, and I could stay here my whole life, but if I don't go." I am going to get called, I'm going to get branded with the name of, he just didn't fancy it at the highest level. Didn't trust himself, but he obviously does because he's a brilliant footballer. And at the end of the day, his decision would have been made down to him saying, of course, I want to go on and win the biggest things in in, in football. I want to be that person. But I just think maybe the price tag and all the expectation around it has just got a bit too much for him and he's sort of almost gone into a shell maybe and maybe trying a bit too hard we see it with a lot of players. I mean, just look at Jane Sancho, like I said. I mean, he's had nowhere near as much minutes as Grealish, so it's harder to judge Sancho. But it's a, these are big expectations for sort of young people to deal with.
1: Yeah. I I do think, though, with Grealish, it's not a case of... I don't think we, I've ever watched and thought he's not at the level. No, no. I think he's just unlocking that full potential. And... He's He was at Aston Villa, and obviously he was always a player that was rough around the edges, unconventional. He didn't know what he was going to do, and that, that was what made him so dangerous. And he was allowed to do that at Aston Villa. And I'm sure it was very much, Jack, just go out and, and do what you can. Kind of tell him the kind of positions you want him to pick up. But realistically, he kind of had the power over what he was going to do. And no man no manager could turn around to him and tell him what to do. But he's gone to Man City now where we know how meticulous Pep is. He'll leave no stone unturned. He's not going to let Grealish just go out there and be Grealish, is he? No. And I think we do see it so often now where you, you see these players that go to these big clubs. And I'm just using it as a reference point. And I obviously know that Dan James ain't on the level of Jack Grealish. But Dan James said, didn't he, that when he went to Manchester United, he kind of forgot how to play his game. And he'd find himself just going back and passing the ball, rather than taking a player on and doing what these players have become known for and what makes them so dangerous. I think I've seen it with Jane and Sancho. Yeah. When I saw United, obviously at Leicester, Sancho didn't have a bad game. Don't think he put a foot wrong, but he just passes it back every time. Yeah. As an opposition fan, brilliant. Yeah. So maybe it is just the the expectation getting to these players, but. What do you think about it? Do you think there is a, a case that the players are going to these bigger teams and letting themselves maybe become too too rigid in, in the way they work? And do you think someone like Grealish and Sandro, whether they'd be best just just playing themselves really and just expressing themselves in the way they did at their previous clubs?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean there's definitely a case to say that I mean, these these players, especially when they're not signed from Another so-called like European giant. Um, so they're coming from. So like Jack Grealish coming from Villa. At the end of the day, like as much as a talented footballer he is, and there's there's so much expectation on him. Just look at the players that he's playing with now. I mean, he just becomes sort of another number, like another cog in the machine. Yeah. And maybe it, it's it's a feeling that they're not not used to because they're used to being the big fish in the small pond and. Everything being sort of focused on them and everyone get the ball to Jack at Villa. That's what it would have been last season. Everyone get the ball to Jack, see what he can do with it. But now you've got players who are at the same level as you, if not at a higher level, and you've got to sort of adapt to the your role of being another number in a in more of a well-rounded a machine. cog in a machine. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, Pep. You know, like you said about Pep, he likes all of his players knowing every single aspect of the game like he's got a freakish nature when it comes to attention to detail and he'll be asking Grealish to do things that he would never have been asked to do before in his footballing career even just little things like angles and weight of pass and I think I remember Carl Walker talking about it on Sky Sports saying that Guardiola chucks up his arms and chucks away the cones in training when and gets angry when when his backs make passes any longer than fifteen yards. He likes everything to be all condensed into triangles and and um, all be five yard, ten yard sort of short passes to bring people into play and bring the opposition in. So Grealish will have to he'll have to adapt to more of a, a training regime where it's much more focused on the tactics and and structure and probably what's happened to Sancho as well I mean I'm not saying Solskjaer's got the the tactical nous of Pep Guardiola by any means but
1: I, f- I think with Sancho it's just so like you said earlier it's just so hard to judge isn't it when he's he's barely played yeah like it, it's so hard it, he's a player like him at least Grealish has been given the opportunity to get to know his teammates and get to know the role he's going to play but with Sancho it doesn't look like there was a role for him no I mean, I don't ch- really, it's a really strange signing, and obviously it was a good signing, and he's a good player, but it just doesn't—it doesn't seem clear. Um, but it is interesting, though. I think that when you think about it, Grealish, throughout his career, and I'm not saying it was Aston Villa; it was hardly Chorley Town, but there there wouldn't have been as anywhere near as much direction in terms of what he was doing. And even if you look at England. I'm sure there was a case a lot of time throughout his career was kind of just go out and do you, Jack. Go out and play your game and influence the game. And managers would have understood that going off Jack Grealish's personality, and obviously we only know so much and we can only speculate, but he does seem like the kind of guy that if he was given too much direction, it could dilute his ability. And it was that rawness, wasn't it, that really made him the player he was. Yeah. And... It's just whether maybe Pep and and Grealish. It's a bit of trial and error. It's trying to work out what's best for everyone and what's best. What is the best way to get Grealish? Get the best out of Grealish and get him best involved in this Man City team. But you're right. It will be completely foreign to anything he's experienced before. And I think it, 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 it's a long term signing, isn't it? And it's far from like I think he's looked at the level. I think it made sense, the move to Man City. I think he suits their style of play. And like I said, if they can just get it working and work out the best way for Grealish to work, and Pep, he's a clever man. He'll understand that not every player is the same. You don't treat every player the same and you don't ask the same of every player. Each player is different, it's circumstantial. And I think a lot of these managers now, that's what they're so good at. It's proactive, it's circumstantial management, and they change for different players. Um, yeah, I think, I, I know, it's a tough one, isn't it? The expectations are obviously ridiculously high, but from my personal point of view, I think it will come good with Grealish. I think he has been good. And I think also it goes. it's important to say that Man City aren't necessarily a team that relies on one player. If you look at some teams, you've obviously got Liverpool with Mo Salah getting the majority of the goal contributions. Ronaldo, like Ronaldo at United obviously goes without saying. But Manchester City, since a, really, if you look back on on times gone by, some of the players they've had, it was never really reliant on one player, was it? No. Maybe Aguero at one point, but really they very much are a team that everyone chips in, don't they? Yeah, yeah. very much so. So like like we said it's it's a part of a cog a cog in no, a cog in a machine and i think it's just going to take a bit of getting used to for everyone involved really so we'll move on now to atalanta versus manchester united obviously two all firstly west what did you take from the game another game which
0: displayed many worrying signs i'd say so first but also in the grand scheme of things it's a really important point that we picked up I mean the the difference in the look of the table had we have lost would have been really really damaging for United because I think most people would agree they're not really in the in the running for the title which is annoying to say only 10 games into a season but unless anything drastic happens they, and they get a new manager or Solskjaer really turns things around quickly and Gets his team playing to the best they can do every week and picking up results, then United aren't going to be challenging for the title. So, yeah. if we'd lost that game, we'd have gone into Villarreal away, and the next one it, with a defeat would have knocked us out of the Champions League, which would yeah. have been catastrophic for our season because we would be without another season without a chance of winning a major trophy. I'm not saying yeah. we're going to win the Champions League, that we're far from the favourites, but as long as you're in there still, you've got a chance of winning it. Um, but it is a case again. I mean, obviously, you sign. You can, a lot can be said. Like people could say they're relying on one man, Ronaldo, uh, to get them out. Get them out of um, well sticky situations every week. Yeah. But then you sort of have to flip it and say, well, they're the sort of they're the, that's what you sign these players for to to provide these big moments. And yes, uh, in the in the greater in the bigger picture, the United the rest of the team should be playing and performing at a lot higher level and Ronaldo is bailing them out there's no doubt about it but it's just hopefully if we can if these sort of games that we can get through by just one man and his individual brilliance I'll put Bruno into that category as well because I think him and Ronaldo are really starting to link up well now but if he can carry on doing this until we get our act together as a team it's not the worst thing in the world I mean we're papering over a lot of cracks at the moment, and I still think Ollie's probably coming to the end of his time I think yeah. the game on Saturday against City will have a massive impact but then again I do also think the game on Tuesday did show that that these players still are they are fighting for Ollie and they they do want to play for him yeah and you I- cannot deny the sort of the fighting spirit that United have showed all season when in in that in when they're facing adversity and they're behind, they always do manage to scrape it back and, and get a
1: result out of somewhere, don't they? But do you not look at it, and I know it is tough, and I watch, watching from an outsider, I wouldn't know how to approach it as a United fan. Um, Even as a, like a rival fan, I don't know whether I'd be Ollie out or whether I'd be Oli in, because one week, one week you you feel like he's got to go and then It's all that kind of conflicting emotions of you want United to win. But by getting these results, it really is just delaying the inevitable. I just wonder how long... I mean, Ronaldo is superhuman. And I would never doubt what Ronaldo could do. And he keeps pushing the bar and setting it higher. But can he do this forever? Like, well, for the rest of it, for the whole season? I just... When you look at it, it's. I think it's all about ambition. It's about end goal. You watch these games, and you might get those individual nights of enjoyment, and it's brilliant when you come back from behind and you get those games. But when you look at the bigger picture, are United going to win the Champions League? No, probably, probably. not. No. Like there's, there's a with Ronaldo in your team, you'd be silly to say there isn't a chance. But really, like taking away the fact that you're a fan, you surely don't believe that United are going to win the Champions League. No, I don't. You're not know. going to win the Premier League, so really, you got. It comes to the question of like, what is what are we? Doing are you this a for? team? Obviously, certain lower like t- certain teams, they they live for those moments. They live for those games. Winning a trophy is not even in. They're not even comprehending it. But you're man. Like, if you're Manchester United, are you one of those teams that live for those little moments, or are you building for something bigger? Which obviously you are. It's a really tough one because obviously, if you're in, you're an United fan. Brilliant, Ronaldo's giving you these moments and so maybe that is all you can live for right now. Yeah. That's a sad reality, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is, yeah, you're right. And I suppose, yeah, like you say, you have to weigh up. I mean, we're not we're not going to win the Premier League. Very unlikely we're not going to win the Champions League. Unless, I mean, we're talking about luck and five margins and runnings you can get. There's a small chance that if they click into gear in a different competition, their style may suit. The Champions League, still a lot of teams that are way further ahead in terms of, well, just in terms of ability and development structure. There's that you can there's a handful of teams in the Champions League that are better than United, but it is it's, it's that fact of way up the pros and cons now. Is there much? Is there point in persisting with this? I mean, it's not sustainable. And like you say, Ronaldo will he do it all season? He'll score goals all season, but there also will be games where Ronaldo won't score. And I think if we've looked back at results from United's games this season, the games that Ronaldo hasn't scored, Villa at home in the league, Everton at home in the league, these games that he's not scored in, we've not got any points in them. So It's just,
1: yeah. and Although he seems like Superman and like he probably is the closest thing to Superman on this earth, he isn't. (laughs) He isn't. And like... It's crazy how he does pop up and that volley he scored against Atalanta, the technique involved is just outrageous. And just the way these chances kind of manufacture themselves. I mean, it was, it's obviously the finish itself isn't lucky. But the fact that it just breaks to him, like you you just know what's going to happen. I was sat there watching with my dad and I turned around to my dad and I just said, it must be so difficult if you're an opposition player because it just seems inevitable. Yeah. And this was at like 2-1 down. And yeah. I was like, it just feels inevitable that Ronaldo is going to pop up. But that's the other thing you got to look at as well. Is that United don't create many chances. Like, he's scoring these goals with every half. chance he gets, he takes. And they're half chances most of- Yeah, that, that was not a chance any other player on, on earth. That blazes over the bar and no one talks about it.
0: Like, like The one on Saturday against Tottenham over the back post. For most players, yeah. that's a half chance because that's such a difficult skill to pull off. But for him, it's just second nature and that's what he does every day in training with his eyes closed.
1: I think I saw Jared Bowen have a similar chance like that. Um, in Who did they play at the weekend? Villa. So yeah, in the Villa game at the weekend, Jaron Bowen, a very respectable player, very good player, having a brilliant season. I think the ball came over to him, and I can't quite remember, he he either went for it and he missed wildly, or he didn't even attempt it at all. And he, he just is, I mean, you've got to enjoy it. At the end of the day, what I would say is that, regardless of the end goal and regardless of what's going on, Ronaldo's back at Manchester United, and he's scoring goals, he's celebrating to Old Trafford and... You've got to enjoy it, haven't you? Like, yeah. you have to enjoy it. You'd be you'd be silly not to, because in a few years, regardless if you've won any trophies or not, you're going to look back on this time and think, wow, like, wow. I mean, yeah. how many years have we spoke about it and how many times has it been rumoured that you'd go back to United and we'd think, oh, it'll never happen, it'll never happen. And this exactly. is me, I'm not a United fan, but it's just incredible to watch, and I'm enjoying it as yeah. an outsider. And it for me it just frustrates me because Manchester United you want to see back at the top as much as they're as a Leicester fan they are kind of a rival now and we have kind of built this we we tend to have good games against each other and it is competitive but you want to I just I prefer United to Chelsea's Man City's teams like that like you want teams that are built upon heritage and history and doing it the right way but it just isn't working now if we look at obviously the defensive side of things probably two aspects well there were three kind of contrasting emotions really you obviously had eric by was inspired played out out of this out of this world against atalanta was everywhere those kind of last ditch blocks i think there's probably no one better in world football on his day and then you look next to him and you've got harry Maguire. in my opinion looked lost and I know going back to Leicester, I know you kind of think that I might have some kind of agenda against Harry Maguire. But I think he is a good player on his day. But I think at the minute he does look lost. I just I don't know if he lacks direction or if he's lost confidence. I think he lacks leadership. And then we have a look at an, another aspect before I bring you in on it. Obviously, Raphael Varane getting injured. It really was a kind of a tale of free emotions for United that night. How do you assess the centre back situation? Do you want to start off with Eric Bailly? What did you what did you think of him from the game? Really I was really surprised actually. I mean, we've seen
0: these glimpses of Eric Bailly for years at United where obviously he doesn't play a lot, he is always injured. But he does have these games where you watch him and think and it does it, it almost it almost he's still young, he's only twenty five, so he's got a chance to sort of resurrect his United career, but when he puts in these performances but he'll normally follow up with an injury a couple of weeks later and it always makes you think like what could have his, what could have his united career looked like if he'd stayed fit and um, i personally think he would he'd be one of the best defenders in the in the league if he had stayed fit and develops at the pace that he he should have because when you get injured not only does do you physically halt to a stop also your development and in, in football mentally and everything it, it all stops because you're not out there playing football and learning and uh, it just, it's a sad one really because you know full well that he probably will f- follow this up with an injury on Saturday or somewhere in the near future but if he can stay fit he's a really really valuable option to have at the back especially when people like Maguire aren't, aren't at the races at the moment I mean providing Varane was fit there's there's an argument to say that buying Varane would be the most trusted partnership at the moment and maybe that's what needs to happen with Maguire. Maybe obviously, they can't at the moment. But Now Varane's injured. They can't really take him out of the firing line. But maybe he does need a couple of weeks on the sidelines where just to reflect on his own performances, um, just give himself a bit of a break, to be honest, because it, can't, it seems like he can't catch a break at the moment. I mean, obviously, we all know he's not 100% fit and it's sort of had a tail-on effect. But some of the mistakes he's making at the moment are not physical mistakes where they're they're, they're brought on by an injury I mean it's just everything he just seems mentally off it um, distracted and it's a real it's a stark difference to what the play that we saw at the Euros because he was fantastic for England at the Euros when he came back from that injury Um, but this season it's just
1: gone the opposite direction for him and uh, he'll, he'll probably turn it around but what does it say though to his teammates what does it say to Harry Maguire if he is dropped Um, as the captain of the team
0: well you could argue it'd say that it'd show the the rest of the team that Solskjaer's got a bit of a backbone and can make these big calls I mean I'd never I'd, I'd never want to see someone I always think with bad performances and bad form Usually, the best way to deal with it is to continuously play them and then play through the bad form and you'll come out the other side of it a better player. But at the moment, I think on Maguire's case, I think maybe he does need, obviously the international break's coming up, so maybe he sees how he fares against City, but it's a dangerous one because his form and the way he's playing and the the lack of awareness and the, the slow reactiveness of him at the moment, against a team like City, it could get pretty ugly. I mean, some of the players, they've got sort of Mares, Grealish, Jesus, De Bruyne. He's got to step up on Saturday or or there will be questions asked because like he did against Liverpool,
1: he got exposed really badly against Liverpool. It does feel like, and I thought the Liverpool game would have been it, but it really does feel like that day of reckoning is coming. And I'm really concerned about Manchester City for, for Manchester United. Uh, it it could. I think the best United could hope for, obviously, a win would be brilliant. But to lose that game, uh, you just gotta hope that it's not an embarrassing one. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, you go into the game wanting to win. You've got the the talent to do so, and it sounds absolutely criminal to be speaking like that about this but,
0: team that United have got.
1: Yeah, it seems criminal to be thinking, oh, they'd be, they'd be good, be lucky to just get away with it. But really, when I look at it now, as a United fan, I'd just be concerned. Like, you ju- you just don't want them to be embarrassed. No. But then a part of me would think, let's get this guy out of this job. Like, but it's so difficult. It's so difficult. Before we move on from United, because we have obviously covered a lot of it before. Actually, yeah. Do you want to speak about Varane getting injured? How much of a miss is he gonna be?
0: Yeah, massive miss. I mean, he's transformed the defence when he's played this season. Obviously, we've not kept. Any sort of number of clean sheets. I mean, he's always, when even when he's been involved, we've conceded maybe one, but he yeah. normally stays at one. And I think you can just tell by I think the Tottenham game on Saturday, although Spurs were extremely toothless up front and there wasn't a lot for the United defenders to actually deal with, he just sort of, if anything, rather than quality, instills like a confidence and a calmness around the rest of his defenders. And I think Harry Maguire looks Looked so much better on Saturday, and then you see what he looks like when it's when Varane's pulled out of the team, and it just seems like panic sets in. Or no one really knows their role. Varane's just seems like that leader, like the leader. I mean, Maguire's the captain, and I'm not one of these people that are going to start piling into him saying he should be stripped, stripped of the captaincy because I do think he's a good player and he's probably a half decent leader, but Raphael Varane's a proper, experienced pro who's won everything. And when he talks, everyone else will listen.
1: Yeah, I like as well that Varane's got an air of just leading by example. And he's calm. And I like captains like that. They're the kind of captains I prefer. Not these ones that overcompensate and just just shout for shouting's sake. You want a player that's going to lead by example, speak when it's needed, not all the time, and... Yeah, I think it's tough on, isn't it? Really, because I think Maguire was the best man for the captaincy at the time when he was appointed, and I think now, although I believe that there probably are better content, um, better contenders to be captain, potentially, I think the damage that it would do to strip him of the captaincy, and what it would say to a player like Maguire and. What it would say about Solskjaer's decision to make him captain before? I think all oh, that backlash just wouldn't be worth it.
0: No, and I think it'd and it'd do some serious damage. I think to Maguire.
1: I'd just be interested to see whether if a if a, a um, if a Zidane came in, whether he he'd change it or I, I imagine he probably would. To be honest, but again, is it worth it? Is is it worth the the backlash? Before we go on. Um, obviously we're going to do our Premier League predictions at the end of the episode but just to get a bit of a, a, a detailed insight from you how do you see this weekend's game going maybe give us a bit of insight into the team you'd go with maybe I think the safest option for United, from
0: United's point of view would be the three-five-two, 5 2 but um, obviously it makes it a bit more difficult when Varane's injured I mean I, th- I could probably see him maybe playing with a back three of by Maguire and Shaw, possibly. And then probably going with maybe Tellez on the left wing-back and Wan-Bissaka. That's one take you could go for. I think McTominay and Fred are sort of nailed on to play. I mean, there's not even point in even discussing whether people like Donny van der Beek will get a chance. I mean, yeah. he did okay when he came on, but will he be trusted in the game against Manchester City? Definitely not. Um, I think the forward line probably picks itself I can't really see Sancho getting a start at the moment. Um, Ronaldo, Rashford would probably play. Greenwood I could probably see going from from the start.
1: Do you it think just... that worries me that, that that's now the norm, Greenwood and Rashford? I mean, it's not worked the last couple of weeks now.
0: <clears throat>
1: yeah, well... It's just, it, just... Against a team like City, do you not want someone that's going to work back? As mad as it sounds, and he's managed to get um, mentioned twice now in this podcast, but someone like Dan James would offer so much more balance to your team. In terms of just working back, you uh, can't yeah. have... Obviously, if you've got the 3-5-2, maybe that means that they don't have to work back as much. Possibly, but then how but. Yeah, how are
0: you going to fit all them in the team? Well, oh, actually, if you're playing the 3-5-2... No, yeah,
1: we, I think mean, you played about 12 players there. Yeah, I just want right? to
0: just just <laughs> ch- chuck them all on. Is um, it, like a 3-5-2-1 no, or something? I was I was speaking in the sense I started off with a free fighting and then I sort of slipped in back into the usual formation. I can see <laughs> Solskjaer going with the same same approach against as he did against Tottenham. Ronaldo and Cavani up front would probably be where I think he'll go with just the experience and think you've got Cavani, I mean he he tracks back like a work he he does he probably does the job of someone like Mason Greenwood that wouldn't do and Rashford and he does considering his age as well I think it's phenomenal the
1: amount of hard work he still puts in it's just a um, shame he can't play every week isn't it with Cavani
0: yeah yeah but he's a good option to have isn't it back up to Ronaldo I, I'd suppose
1: yeah but, it's still um, a good option but imagine if he was five years younger
0: yeah well imagine if Ronaldo was five years younger <laughs> But um, Ronaldo's still doing it. yeah week in week out um, but in terms of how I see the game going I think it could United have to sort of revert back to, whether it's reluctantly or not. I don't know whether Solskjaer was trying to sort of save face a bit against Liverpool by showing, by almost showing people that United could go toe to toe with someone like Liverpool at their own game. And obviously they can't. And it failed massively against Liverpool. And he can't do that against City. I mean, I don't think City are as in your face and sort of full throttle as Liverpool so i don't think if they, even if they did try and play them at their own game it would come off as bad as that but i think united just have to go with the the defensive sort of sit in and just hit them on the counter attack because it's the only times only ways we've beaten these big teams over the past few years is by playing that sort of resolute just hold what you have and then try and hit them and get a half chance here and there and get a goal and obviously like like I say, when you've got these players with pace going forward like Rashford and then you've got them putting the ball on maybe half chances for Ronaldo, you've always got a chance of scoring goals and winning the game. But they've just got to get a defensive area right first because if that goes horribly wrong again in the defensive area, City will uh, exploit United at every opportunity and it could get ugly again. Yeah. So I, I no, think, absolutely. Yeah, we just got to go with what we know and Just hope for the best. We can't go out and play them at their own game because they will dismantle us, I think.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Shall we move on now to the final of the English clubs in the Champions League? Uh, Liverpool, obviously last night, beating Atletico 2-0. Probably aided by that sending off. Before we get into looking at the game, what did you think of the sending off? Obviously, yeah, Felipe um, was going to get given the yellow. But then... Seemed to be ignoring the referee, maybe a, a hand gesture or some kind of gesture towards the referee. Anyway, the referee didn't like it, sent him off. We were all surprised about it, kind of took all the speed out of the game. Did you think it was a sending off?
0: You have to sort of look at these ones from from two different points of view. I mean, for years I've been getting sort of just agitated and annoyed at sort of like the arrogance of footballers and how they sort of little little footballers have the respect for referees that that they should. I mean, you look obviously you can always compare it to other sports, but there is a lot of it that goes on where you just think sort of like what what goes through these footballers' heads? They just they almost think they're above the law in the game sometimes, and they can just speak to the referee how they want and behave how they like so at one, in one aspect I was sort of happy that one referee had actually just sort of turned around for, for once and just put his foot down and said no I'm not having this if, yeah. if you're not going to listen to me and you're going to give me silly hand gestures and, and sort of trying to almost embarrass me in front of the crowd I'll send mm. you off and I thought it was thought in that aspect it was quite good but I think as a referee you've sort of you've got to sort of bite your tongue and look at the bigger you've got to be above it haven't you you've got to look at the bigger picture of the game you've got to give him the yellow card Got to give him the other card. Give him the, the sort of stern talking to. Give tell him it's his last chance. Even and you've got then if he does it again, or makes another commits another foul or gives you another bit of, bit of lip. I mean, you can send him off. You've got every excuse, but I think you've got to take the the game in, into his mind and think what it will do to affect this game. And in the first half, it was only going to end in one way, especially with Liverpool two goals up. It did completely ruin the game and it was sort of a non-event from there in, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. And it very much was a, a performance synonymous with Liverpool, really, wasn't it? started off fast and Atletico just couldn't get out of their half. And then once the first goal go, goes in, it kind of scuppers all of Simeone's C- plans to sit in, be resolute, catch him on a counter-attack. And then obviously the sending off just further compounded that because Atletico in the first game of the group stage against Liverpool, they they did grow into the game, didn't they? Yeah. And I was impressed with them when they grew into the game. But I can't work out why they start so slowly. Yeah. it's Yeah, obviously we saw goals from Hotter and Mane. And obviously Trent Alexander-Arnold, instrumental in both goals. Balls into the box. Just just so impressive. Just such a talented, talented player. And I was quite impressed with him defensively as well last night. Um, I can't remember too much, but I think that's always a good thing, defensively, if you've... I think with, with Trent, there's so many times that you remember him making a bit of a howler defensively. But I think it's good that if he can just find some consistency in a defensive aspect, then that's all he needs, really. Because his attacking play, that's always going to be what his, his, his main attribute is and what he offers to the team. But he's just finding that consistent know-how in defence. And I was really impressed with him. I don't know what you thought of Trent and... Yeah. Where you see him at the season.
0: Well, yeah, I think, I agree. I think he's sort of, he looks like he's sort of studied that part of his game a lot more. And I mean, he's always got a lot of slack for it, but he looks like he's sort of shoring up in it, doesn't he? He's getting better. I mean, he's not perfect. I mean, there's not many players in the world that are perfect at everything, but he's definitely improving on that side. This season, you're seeing a lot less of the, the little clips you see over Twitter and stuff of, him getting sort of twisted inside and out and he seems to just be a lot more resolute and maybe that's maybe from the return of someone like Virgil van Dijk has sort of given him that confidence to Yeah. because that's what I think that's where Liverpool's problems stem from last season I mean a lot of was made of Robertson, Trent and their I mean how their sort of output and their effect on the team wasn't quite as great as it was the previous couple of seasons but I think you've got to forget when I've got to remember sorry when you are a fullback and you've got someone like Virgil van Dijk partner with someone who like someone like Joel Matip or Joe Gomez who are good defenders as well and as a two i mean they're brilliant but it gives you that confidence to know that you can sort of maraud forward and affect mm-hmm. the game how you want to and sort of worry less about defensive parts of your game and last season when they were taken away and you've got sort of chopping changing with people like Nat Phillips and Rhys Williams and inexperienced players at the back I mean it sets into everyone else and that's probably what saw them both as a bit more limited last season and even more exposed because even little small bits of defending as a fullback even when a wing is running at you if you've not got someone like Virgil van Dijk behind you it would be more isolated I mean people like van Dijk you don't notice it so much in the game but even if the five or ten yards, they'll press further onto the side of whoever's coming down that side,
1: and that, he sets the tone, doesn't it he? It sets Pretty the tone, well. and it
0: and knowing someone's behind you gives you that confidence to defend as a unit. And when you've not got quality behind you, and they're not sort of closing them gaps in behind, it does make it a lot harder, and
1: you will get your, your sort of fragil- fragilities will get exposed yeah. a lot more. Yeah, um, no, absolutely, absolutely. Obviously, now going into the final two fixtures of the group stage, Liverpool are through. They've, I think they've won the group. I think that it's mathematically impossible for the other teams to catch them. Obviously, that is huge for Klopp, being able to rest players in the next two fixtures. It's something that he never shies away from doing. We see it in the Carabao Cup, etc. so often. Yeah. That is huge, isn't it, for Liverpool?
0: Yeah, I think you've got to just hold your hands up. I mean... That was a group of death at the start of the tournament. Like AC Milan, yeah. Porto. I mean, Porto are no mugs, are
1: they? I mean, no. Um, Atlético very wily Champions League clubs, aren't Yeah, they? yeah.
0: With a lot of know-how in the competition, and they've just sort of breezed past all of them, like, and just made it look easy. I mean, that's probably the biggest compliment you can give to Liverpool is that they have made this group look incredibly easy.
1: So yeah, obviously that is the roundup for the, the English clubs in the in the Champions League. Um, we probably should have spoke about it at the start of the episode, at the top of the episode. Antonio Conte to Spurs. That's the big news this week. Do you think he is the man for Spurs? I've seen a lot of talk now that obviously he's one of the best managers in the world and Spurs are a serious contender and everyone should be worried and those teams vying for fourth place should all be worried, but I think people are forgetting what Spurs have become and what their players have become. and How poor they are. I, yeah. And I think a lot of it is down to the players. Yeah, it is, yeah. I don't um, know what you think about that appointment.
0: Obviously, obviously, I mean, if you're going to get rid of a manager and you're looking out on the market now, I mean, he's definitely the best person to go for and it's a, it's a great appointment by Spurs. But anyone that thinks he's going to bring sort of any immediate success never mind silver in terms of success i'm talking top four finish and yeah. maybe even never mind silver I, I i think i can't see it happening anytime soon i mean he signed an 18 month contract with the option of a further year and i think you'd be i think you'd be ridiculous to assume that tottenham are going to win anything in, in that 18 months I mean, Conte Conte only normally stays at a club for eighteen months to two years maximum. So I don't know where I don't know whether he's joined Tottenham thinking he's got the tools to to sort of provide instant success. But I think from an outsider's view, I don't know about you, but I think it's going to take a hell of a lot longer. And I think you'd have to stay there for a good three or four years to even start getting Tottenham back to where they want to be because I think they're miles and miles away at the
1: moment. Yeah, and if you look at Daniel Levy and. Who's the other guy in charge? Fabio Patrici. Patrici. Yeah, so you see their kind of method to what they do. And if you look at the the last few managers they've had, obviously Pochettino was a long-term plan. And he achieved... Obviously, never had that silverware. But he did achieve a lot at at Spurs and he was that long-term plan. And then they obviously went for Jose Mourinho who was more of a... Always seen as more of a, a quick fix. And... You expect him to come in and have success overnight. And then that hasn't really worked. And then they've gone back to Nuno, who obviously I think was more of a long-term plan again. And now they've sided with Antonio Conte. But I just think, like you just said, I think when you look at their team and the time it's going to take to rebuild this squad, and I think a lot of it is just rebuilding a mentality. Yeah, they've, A lot of them now, these players, they're just... It's a broken it's mentality. almost an inferiority complex where they they feel like losers I mean Harry Kane the guy can do no more the last few seasons he's offered so much and he almost just carries that team on his back but there's nothing to show for it and they've become I know there's that whole Spurs the bottlers and what have you but he's you can't really argue with it can you they bottle it at every opportunity and you know that Daniel Levy isn't going to give Antonio Conte exactly what he wants. It's not going to be free spending. I heard that he's he's put down some 200-odd million wish list of players that he wants. It's just not going to happen, is it? Never. Unless Spurs are going to seriously change the way they work, which I find incredibly unlikely. I just can't see it working. Well, I can't see it working in the short term, anyway. Unless Conte has changed the way he works and wants to stay there for a long-term future, I just cannot see it working. No. And I think people get caught up in all this, the different narratives that the media are trying to paint, and now Spurs are a serious contender. I'll see, it. I'll believe it when I see it. Do you know what I mean? I need yeah. to see it to believe it, and I just think this. I've been so disappointed with Spurs over the years, and when it when push comes to shove. They always seem to capitulate. They implode. They turn on each other. It's it's. I wouldn't be. I think for Spurs, I think Spurs fans just want a little bit of optimism, don't they? Yeah, definitely. I understand that as a football fan, that's what you live for. You cling on to little bits of little glimpses of optimism. In terms of kind of players that should be worried, or who do you kind of see coming back into the into the fray now? Do you think? I know, obviously, we've seen. Another narrative the media continuously try and pull out and draw out is this Deli Ali situation, and whether he he how he can get back to what he was. But it's been so long now; I can't remember Deli Ali being that good. Like, obviously he was outrageous, but I can't remember that. It was so long ago now. No. Do you I, think Deli Ali this could be the manager that can get him back to where he was? No, I don't,
0: because I don't see where he fits into his his, uh, his system. To be honest. I mean, if he can't fit into the system that Nuno was playing or the latter years of Parch or Mourinho in this 3-5-2, which is a very rigid and robust system, I don't see where he fits in. I honestly don't. And also, you've got to understand that Conte is a manager that will make you run all day. I think Ashley Young said it at Inter, you just run, run, run. You have to be the fittest team in the league and... Everything is so sort of high intensity and just relentless when it comes to your fitness side of the game. And I think what Deli Ali's problems stem from has probably been mostly down to probably his attitude over the past few years and maybe got a little bit too ahead of himself and he doesn't really want to put in the extra work. So if he's not been willing to do that for the previous two or three managers, can you really see him sort of taking on board this sort of stupidly sort of like freakishly Fitness based regime. Can you, you
1: see Conte taking any, no, any no. flack from, from Ali or any kind no, of I, not I think, being 100%? No, I'm sure Conte said didn't he, when he was Chelsea manager if if,
0: if a player didn't want to put in 100%, he'd just prefer to kill him. <laughs> I mean, he's not going to, him and Deli Ali, I cannot see working at all. No. I mean, Deli
1: Ali, I just don't think he's got it in him to go that extra yard. But he's had now, he's had the Kind of conscientious and nice manager like Nuno and Poch, and obviously it worked at the start with Poch, but then that fizzled out. It didn't work with Nuno. He's had the manager like Mourinho, who's not going to take any any kind of nonsense, and he's very cut and dry and expect has a lot of expectations of his players. That didn't work. You just really wonder, don't you? I just, I just think that he took his eye off the ball. And I think at this level, and at the level he was operating at, you can't do that. And it's in, I think he's now just been trying to claw it back. And if it doesn't come naturally to you as well, being a hard working. And I'm not saying Deli Ali's like lazy or anything like that. But at this top level, you have to be incredibly hard working. You have to put in that extra mile. And if it doesn't come naturally to you, it's hard to instill in yourself. Yeah. I think that's what Deli Ali's struggling with. And there is always a lot of talk as well. And it gets on my nerves to be honest, because I don't think he's he's not done anything to deserve the kind of talk that he gets. Like recently anyway. It get it does come to a point. He was world class when he first um broke out. I thought he was gonna be England's answer to someone like Paul Pogba. I love Deli Ali. I thought he was absolutely outstanding player. But he gets to a point, doesn't it, where you have to just draw a line. I mean, you feel like you're almost wasting breath talking about him. And that sounds incredibly harsh, but I just think it is where we've got to. Obviously, before we end the episode, we'll talk about Conte more in, in another episode uh, once we start to see his tactics and the what he's trying to instil at, at Spurs. But before we finish and before we go on to our Premier League predi- predictions for the week, Newcastle, it's just broke today that they're in talks with Eddie Howe. I mean, who isn't in talks with Eddie Howe at the moment? <laughs> Unai Emery was supposedly their their first choice, but he came out and, and basically said that the owners, there was a lack of a vision. I think that's incredibly worrying for Newcastle fans. What yeah. do you take from the Unai Emery situation and give us a little bit about Eddie Howe as well? Unai Emery, I mean... I think it would have been
0: a good appointment had he wanted to go but I also I, I respect the way he's handled the situation himself and declined the offer because obviously first and foremost he's built something really good at Villarreal obviously got Europa League under his belt and got them into the Champions League again and I mean they're not they're not actually having the, the best of seasons domestically in La Liga but it's is it when you build a sort of connection like that with a club and it seems like he's got a sort of real connection with the fans at Villarreal and the players and stuff, you don't often want to see a manager leaving midway for a season, do you? Especially when they're in the midst of trying to progress from the Champions League group stage. You've got two massive games against United and Atalanta coming up. Um, but I also just praise him for the way he's... I think if you look into Newcastle now, um. First of all, the way everything's handled at the club. I mean, I don't know about you, but this takeover happened what three or four weeks ago. It seems like it's all gone quiet. Like everyone, even Newcastle fans, have just sort of realised that how much of a mess the club is anyway, and it's how going long to take a long time. I think it's going to take longer than the initial five, ten years people are thinking. I mean, the club is in a dire state and as you know I am Ray he's, he's probably looked in there and thought all this stuff that constantly gets leaked from Newcastle everything that happens at a football club is sent to the press leaked by someone in it seems like some sort of it seems like a toxic dressing room in my opinion a lot of bad but eggs there were, t- there. there
1: were stories weren't there I can't remember the exact player in question but there were stories about a player having some kind of argument or uh, dispute with with Steve Bruce wasn't there on the training yeah. ground yeah, I mean, Unai Emery, I mean,
0: would he want to go and drop that feel-good factor sort of squad he's got going at Villarreal and in the Champions League? Why would he want to go and drop that and move to Newcastle? Where if things don't go right, you're going to get the brunt end of a load of sort of self-entitled fans that think, in my opinion, they that they think that they I wouldn't say that. No, it's what I,
1: it's what I think, mate, honestly. <laughs> yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. And yeah, a lot of ang- angry Geordie I'm not going to tarnish
0: all Geordie's the same or all Newcastle fans the same, but it seems like there's a large group of them that sort of expect and think they're this massive club and expect everything on a plate. I mean, well, I can't remember the last
1: time they won anything. But um, it's just, no, why, but why would you know? want to go? The yeah no i think well obviously he was talking about a lack of a vision it worries me that because we've obviously seen the blueprints there in terms of manchester city you look at how an owner comes in and they did it the right way and they they came in with a plan and they understood that it's not going to be a it's going to be a bumpy road and it's going to take a a little while and they knew the kind of players they got to bring in and they'd well, obviously, the owners probably didn't know the players to bring in, but they had people employed that, that did, that knew what to do. It concerns me, and I don't know, well, I'm interested to know, do you think Newcastle fan, fans are right to be concerned by this lack of a vision? Yeah, I
0: don't. I can't see. I mean, we, I think we discussed it a couple of weeks ago, I mean, you can bring all the money into a club you want to, but at the end of the day, you've got our football people in the football club making the decision for the best interests of the team, and and the fans in the club, and it seems like this this group that have come in Saudi Arabians and that this Amanda Amanda Staveley, yeah, it seems like they've sort of come in and thought, right, where we are now, we've got the money, we've got the backing, but now we actually need to run a football club, and it seems like exactly. they're just, it seems like they're going for almost like a scattergun approach of just, do you want to be the manager of Newcastle United? Oh no! All right, we'll move down to our next target, and that's how it happened at Tottenham in the summer. That was a sort of trial and error. Do you want to come? No, they didn't come. So in the end, I think Nuno was like their eighth choice. Newcastle are going to end up with Eddie Howe. I'm not saying Eddie Howe is a bad manager at all. I mean, he did a great job at Bournemouth. But they're going you to might end keep up... him
1: in the league, which at might... the moment is probably
0: all they can ask for. They might keep him in the league, but would you even say Eddie Howe is a safer option than someone like Sam Allardyce or Roy Hodgson? Because he got Bournemouth oh. relegated the last time he was in the Premier League. And again, I mean, this is nothing against Eddie Howe. I think he's a really good young manager. But is it, it's going to have the same effects. Newcastle are going to end up with their 6th or 7th
1: choice manager and they've only been here three or four weeks. And what does that think,
0: say to everyone else?
1: Yeah, I think if we look at Eddie Howe though, it's a tough one because it depends what angle you come at with. And I personally believe that Eddie Howe, his management skills... Shouldn't be brought into question, but I think he just made a poor decision in terms of he should have left Bournemouth earlier. Really, I think there were a couple seasons where it not had gone stale, but I think he just achieved everything he could, and I think the overall feeling around the club was that Eddie Howe could move on, or there was always talk. And we've had every job that comes up, every Premier League job, whether he is in the conversation or not, he's always spoke of as a as a potential. Uh, as a potential candidate isn't he when yeah. we've seen now Norwich there's so many different levels you see someone like Spurs when they set the manager Eddie Howe will get spoke of Norwich are talking about sacking their manager I've seen Eddie Howe being talked of as well what do you think about Eddie Howe And is that even more of a sign that this the vision is not there when you've got two managers Emery and Howe seem to be the main managers and they are very contrasting aren't
0: yeah. they? Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why Emery sort of walks away, because that shows it shows a total lack of direction. I mean, when, in the, when you've got to a final two of, in a short list and you're both getting sort of interviewed and approached for the job, you know, Emery's probably sat there and thought, you know what? I mean, Eddie Howe, with all due respect to him, is a totally different style of coach to me. I mean, what sort of approach are they trying to get at this club? Uh, but I do think out of the two maybe Eddie Howe as much as I don't I sort of he doesn't really fill me with the most confidence I think he would do well at sort of getting the best out of the English players that have got in there sort of Lascelles and Jamal Lewis he's worked with Callum Wilson and got Callum Wilson firing for Bournemouth a lot Ryan Fraser he's worked with before Um, Willock as well I I mean Ryan Fraser I reckon that might be a bit of a spiky reunion (laughs) I think he oh, left yeah. he left them didn't he on, out of contract <laughs> yeah, yeah um but i think that's one for yeah sort of joe yeah like you say joe willock even plays like john joe Shelby. i mean sort of plays on the fringe at the moment i think that he could have a good effect when it comes into that sort of the long staff brothers yeah lovely boys <laughs> 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 um yeah i think that's a positive i think that Howe could bring and I just don't know. I mean, it's difficult to really judge or know what you think of Eddie Howe in terms of as a proposition for a different club because all you know him for is Bournemouth, isn't it? So it's hard to imagine Eddie Howe managing anyone else and how he would fare
1: anywhere else. I think as well, if you are Emery or Eddie Howe, it's kind of irrelevant the amount of money they've got now because you could end up being like the guy, the full guy do you know it's what I mean the stepping stone I don't there, know yeah. what they've what they've set out as their targets in January I don't know if they are going to spend a lot of money you, you don't really see it too often do you but if you're Emery or if you're Eddie Howe I think you have to go there with knowledge and concrete evidence that they are going to back you straight away Yeah. because you could end up I mean you know, Emery's had a great management career to go to Newcastle now in the precarious situation they are in I mean, you'd have to only believe that they would stay if they went down. But you could end up being the guy that that just, yeah, just taints or is just remembered for the starting off the, the Newcastle, whatever they're going to go on to achieve and being the one that, that fails ultimately. And if they don't, because if you go into there, if you're Eddie Howard, I don't care what manager you are, if you go into that Newcastle side now with no backing, you're screwed really, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, you could yeah. just about keep him in the league, but you're in a really precarious position, and no manager would really want to be. And even like, if you look at Eddie Howe, he's at a crucial point in his management career. Yeah, he's not; his reputation isn't in the bin, or he's got. There's certainly stuff to build upon, and people do still remember the good work he did at Bournemouth. But his next job, if he goes wrong, if it goes wrong at his next job, or and because it could go really wrong at Newcastle as well you like you said as well the pressure from the fans i mean it's it's a really tough one it it must be a conflicted position to be in if you are one of those managers and unai emery as well he's got an established management career is he going to put that on the line to go to newcastle where he doesn't know if he's going to be backed and at the end of the day he's taken over a relegation standard team so now we're going to go through our predictions from last week's Premier League fixtures and update you guys on the the table as it stands and give you the predictions for next weekend. So last week I got I got a total of 8 incorrect games, but then I got 2 that were bang on which kind of saved me. So I got 4 points overall, I got Newcastle-Chelsea bang on, 3-0 to Chelsea. And I also got Norwich versus Leeds two one to Leeds. If you look at some of my results from last week, obviously there were some really unpredictable results. New- Liverpool drawing to Brighton, Palace. Uh, I had City to beat Palace, obviously, and Palace won that. Obviously, I had Leicester to beat Arsenal as well. I Got that wrong. What what points were you on from last week? I got I got
0: I've got six this last week. Uh, Leicester versus Arsenal, I went for 2-2, didn't get anything there, I got a got a point for Burnley-Brentford, got a correct um, result there, nothing in the Liverpool-Brighton game, nothing for City-Palace, I went for 3-1 Chelsea, so just narrowly missed out on a correct score, got one point there, nothing in the Watford-Saints game, I went for 2-1 United, got a point there nothing for Norwich versus Leeds I, I I opted for a draw. I went for a 1-0 West Ham win so I've got a point there but I've got a correct score on the Monday night football. I went for 2-1 to Wolves over Everton.
1: It's a good shot. Well so what was the total of your points? 6. So 6. So what are you on now overall? Um I will be on 22. Wow, so it's all changed. I'm on I'm on 21 now with my four points. So it's 22 21 to Westie. Should we move on to our predictions for this week? Yeah. So, you kick us off, mate. So, the Friday night game, uh, Southampton Villa, I've
0: gone for a 2 1 Villa away win. I've gone Um, for a 1 1 in that one. Right. So, the early kick off, the Manchester Derby, I've gone for a 1 1 draw. Optimistic.
1: 3 0 to Manchester City.
0: Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Brentford, Norwich, I've gone for a 2-0 Brentford win at home. I've gone for a 2-1 Brentford win. <laughs> Optimistic to think Norwich will score. Um, <laughs> they scored against Wolves, mate. Um, Chelsea, Burnley, uh, Stamford Bridge. I've gone 3-1 to Chelsea at, against Burnley. i gone 4-0 to Chelsea. Palace Wolves, I've gone for a 2-2 draw. I've gone for 2-1 to Wolves. Mm. Um, win for Wolves I've gone for a 2-0 home win for Brighton against Newcastle
1: I've gone for 1-1 in that one
0: mm. uh, I've gone for a 3-0 Arsenal win against Watford I've gone for a 2-0 Arsenal win against Watford um, Antonio Conte's first Premier League game I've predicted a 1-0 draw at Goodison Park between them and Everton I've gone for a draw as well 2 all. nice and um, then we go on to Leeds versus Leicester. I've gone for a 3-1 Leicester win at Ellen Road. Yeah, I've gone for a 2-0 Leicester win. And then we've got West Ham versus... Who are they playing? Because Liverpool. The t- <laughs> West Ham, Liverpool. I've gone for a 2-2 draw.
1: Wow. Well, I've gone for a 3-1 win to Liverpool in that one. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting how close we are now. We're a, we're a fair few game weeks in. Um disappointing for me last week but I'm, I'm I'm always happy when you get a little correct score it is always nice well so yeah there is this episode a bit of a bumper episode for you guys we ended up going over this week talking about the Champions League games I always enjoyed in a Champions League review uh, have you enjoyed today's episode Westy yeah thoroughly enjoyed it yeah well yeah thank you for joining me mate thank you for your insight I hope you guys have enjoyed the episode if you could do us a favour follow the podcast subscribe to the podcast you'll get notified when a new episode's out and yeah i hope you guys have enjoyed the episode follow us at divided opinion on instagram if you want to see daily content articles match reports things like that and yeah thanks for joining me westy mate and we'll see you guys soon